Please pray with me as we ask for God's help. Lord, we pray that you might enable me to speak what is true and helpful for us all. By your spirit, please work in all our hearts that we might believe and obey what you tell us to in your word today. Amen. When you think of commitment, who or what comes to mind? Who comes to mind when you think of commitment? Maybe Grey Friars Bobby, a terrier who became known in the 19th century, 19th century Edinburgh for spending 14 years guarding the grave of his deceased owner until he died in 1872. Maybe when you think of commitment, you think of football fans or, or, or what's required to be an elite athlete or even to win a gold medal. Or maybe when you think of commitment, you think of caring for a child with special needs or caring for an ageing relative. All of those things and many others show real commitments. And what we see in our passage today is the real commitment of God to his people, to undeserving people. And I hope that this will encourage you and we'll also hear God call us to turn to him, showing real commitments. After today, we've got four more weeks in the book of Deuteronomy before we return to John and finish off John's gospel. But if you keep your Bibles open, please, and look at 29 verse 1. It says there, the Israelites are in Moab. They're about to cross the Jordan and enter the promised land. Over 40 years ago, the Lord made a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, also called Horeb. And all that adult generation has died. And a new generation is about to enter the promised land. And the Sinai covenant is being revised and renewed for this new generation. As we heard in chapter 28 last week, if they obey all God's commands, they will be blessed. But if they disobey, if they reject God and worship other gods, they will be cursed. Punishments, plagues, poverty, slavery will come upon them as bad consequences for their sinful choices. And now chapters 29 and 30 contain Moses' third speech. And it looks at further implications for the covenant including what will happen after they experience all the curses. We're looking at the passage under four headings. They're in your outline if you'd like to follow that. The first point being real commitments. What we see firstly is the real commitments of the Lord to his people and to his promises. In verses 1 to 8, Moses summarizes their history and highlights God's gracious provision for his people. As you know, the Lord performed great signs and wonders in freeing Israel from slavery in Egypt. And then look at verse 4. While they wandered in the wilderness, they didn't need a new set of clothes or new shoes for 40 years. Imagine that. Uh, they didn't need to prepare their own food or drink for the Lord directly and miraculously provided for them. He was committed to them. When they came up against other kings, they were successful and two and a half tribes have already received their promised land inheritance because 
God was committed to them, committed to keeping his covenant promises. Remember, a covenant is a formal agreement. A covenant establishes a relationship based on promises, solemn promises which have an oath or on which you swear to keep, like in a marriage. A marriage is a good example of a covenant's relationship. And when I think of marriage, an older couple from my last church come to mind. The church celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary with them. Over many years, the husband had severe and painful ulcers on his leg and difficulty moving, and his wife faithfully, lovingly cared for him. And then in more recent years, his wife got worsening dementia, and now her husband is lovingly caring for her keeping his promises in real commitments. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 13 and 14, we see God committing that Israel will be his people and he will be their God. He makes this sworn covenant. And while marriage may have two witnesses these days who sign Certificates. If you look at chapter 30 and verse 19, the Lord calls heaven and earth to be his two witnesses. He will give them the promised land that he swore, the promised land that he promised and swore to give to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what an incredible privilege to have the God of the universe, their creator and saviour, make promises to them. What an incredible privilege to have God make promises to us, his people. God is truly, God is really committed to his people. But the Lord also calls them to real commitment to him. Look at verse 9. Carefully follow or keep the terms of this covenant. And who is he talking to? In verse 10, it is everyone. It's the various leaders, it's the men, it's the women, it's the children, it's the foreigners. It is everyone. Verse 14 makes clear that it even includes those who are not here today, presumably future generations. Everyone is entering this covenant and committing to serve the Lord. They are all committing, all liable, all responsible, kids included. And if they don't, then there will be real consequences. And that's our second point. Verse 18, 29 verse 18, Make sure there's no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there's no root among you that produces such bitter poison. Picture that, would you? Idolatry as poisonous. Even when we worship our heart idols of possessions, pleasure, power, prestige, we're doing something which is poisonous, harmful, dangerous. 
And yes, there'll be people who think they'll be okay and think they're safe and just keep on going, living their own way. There'll be people who, like in verse 19, who secretly think, I'll do what I want. I'll be all right. God won't judge me. But disaster will come. You see, as we heard last week, our choices have consequences. And for those who reject and disobey God and go on living their own way, they will not be forgiven. But as verse 20 says, verse 20, they'll experience God's anger and curses. Please don't misunderstand this. As Neil explained last week, God is very patient and gracious with his people giving them warning after warning, chance after chance over hundreds and hundreds of years. But God says the real consequences will come, and they do come for a future generation. Because, verse 25, the people abandoned the covenant of the Lord. I don't know if you know the story of Hosea. Read that book in the Old Testament this afternoon if you'd like. But the prophet Hosea's wife, she abandoned her marriage covenants and went off and slept with other men. And like that, Israel abandoned their covenant with God. And it's as offensive as committing adultery on your spouse. Israel goes off and worships and serves other gods and and rightly God gets angry at them. In fact, in verse 28, Israel is described like a weed that God pulls up and throws away out of the lands. All Israel will get taken away by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. The real consequences do come. The timing of that, as the last verse says, belongs to the secret things of the Lord, but it will come as God promises because God is not only committed to his people, he is committed to keeping his covenant promises. Thank God that that's not the end of the story. In chapter 30, we see real grace. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come on you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you from all the nations where he scattered you. If people return to the Lord, he'll forgive them. He will restore their fortunes. He will bring them back from the nations. But even when the Israelites returned from exile in about 500 BC, the the blessing and prosperity promised even here, it wasn't realized at that time. You see, the people were still waiting for something new. The people needed something new. Back in chapter 10, Moses said, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant given to Abraham in Genesis 17. 
It was an external symbol of trusting and obeying the Lord and being his people. The word hearts, also translated as mind in our passage, is a repeated and important word. And it encompasses your desires and your thinking and your choices. Circumcising the heart obviously isn't talking about cutting off a piece of skin, but having a heart that's set apart from sin and fully devoted to the Lord. Moses called them to that. And yet history shows the Israelites don't and didn't have the ability to circumcise their hearts and live fully devoted to the Lord. The problem is throughout the world and throughout history, people's hearts have been ruled by sin. Everyone's, everyone is born, oriented, away from God, making selfish choices. And we see that in the two-year-old's tantrum. We see it in the father's workaholism in a woman's fears about what others think. We see it in a teenager's laziness or disrespect. We are all self-focused. Every individual wants to rule on the throne of their own hearts. And people actually don't have the ability or the strength or the desire to love and obey God 100%. And that's exactly what God acknowledged in our passage in 29 verse 4. Look at that. To this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. The point is the people needed God to rectify the situation. Sinful people need God to do a work of grace in their hearts, in their minds and change them from the inside. And in real grace. God does this. It's God working in the hearts of people that will make a return to the Lord permanent and possible. Please look carefully at this wonderfully good news in 30 verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. God is here promising that a time will come when he will change people's hearts, change them from the inside out. Circumcision of the heart is having a heart that understands and desires to trust and obey God with total devotion. It's something God provides, not something Israel achieves. And this points forward to the new covenant. In the new covenant, all the old promises and ideals are realized. In Jeremiah 31, the Lord says, The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. They, they, uh, Jeremiah goes on to make clear, God does through Jeremiah. They broke the first covenant. But here God is promising, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And all God's people will know him. That means know in terms of having a personal relationship with God, even with sins forgiven. 
because God is and will be really committed to his people. And friends, it is God's Son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the cross and died to establish this new covenant. Jeremiah spoke of, shed his blood and died on the cross to forgive our sins. And as he said at the Last Supper, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. How do we become members of this new covenant? How how do you receive the benefits of this new covenant? It's by repenting. But only God's grace working in people's hearts will make repentance or a return to the Lord possible and permanent. In Romans chapter 2, Verse 29, it speaks of this circumcision of the heart which happens by the Spirit. You don't do it yourself, I don't. God does it by his Spirit. So pray that God would work in your hearts. Change your hearts. Pray that he'll work in others' hearts. Because it will only happen by his Spirit. God works in the hearts, in our hearts, by his spirit, enabling us to repent and believe for the very first time and to go on repenting and believing and obeying our Lord. You see, obedience is the product of a heart change affected by God. When God changes your heart, it shows itself in obedience. doesn't mean that you'll have and display perfect obedience now, but rather a gradual process towards perfect and obedient love will follow. Our obedience will grow over time through a gradual process. One writer, Paul Barker, says, the effects of a circumcised heart are gradual and not instantaneous. But when it's happened... Love and obedience will flow from the hearts. Our devotion will be real and genuine. And so I ask you this morning, is your devotion to the Lord real and genuine? Can others see that you're a Christian by your obedience? This brings us to our final point, real repentance. Remember, it's God's Grace who prompts people to turn to him. But we are still responsible and we need to choose to repent. Turn or return is another important and repeated word in this passage. And when we repent, it means that we turn away from sin and self-rule and we turn to the Lord in faith and trust. We turn back to the Lord. Repentance is about a change of mind and a change of direction. To repent is to do a U-turn or to chuck a U-E. To turn back to the Lord in faith and trust. And forgiveness and relationship with God is dependent on repentance. 
Look at 30 verse 2. When you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes or more literally return you from captivity and have compassion on you. Look at verse 10. God will delight in you if you turn to the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. And right at the end of our passage, verse 19, real repentance is the call here as well. Now choose life, Moses says, so that you and your children may live. For the Lord is your life. We can't find life outside of him. That's why we turn to him. If they want to keep living, living with God's blessing in the land, then they need to turn back to the Lord. Verse 20, listen to his voice, love him, never let him go. From verse 11 on, God says, what I'm asking you to do, it's not too difficult or beyond your reach. It's not too hard to understand or to do. In other words, you don't have to be super smart or superman. But this is only possible or only ultimately true in the light of verses 3 to 7. It's only ultimately true in the light of the new covenant that comes in, that is brought in through Christ. For the Apostle Paul, he applies these words to Jesus and the gospel. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses was speaking about God's word, the law. In the New Testament, it's now applied to the word of the gospel, to Jesus, who is the end and goal of the law. So Paul, in Romans chapter 10, he quotes the Greek translation of Deuteronomy 30 and says, it means we don't need to go up to heaven or down to the depths to achieve salvation. We just need to believe that Christ rose from the dead, confess him as Lord, verse 9, and we shall be saved. Christ is, We don't have to achieve it, in other words. Christ has already come. He's perfectly obeyed the law in our place. And on top of that, he's taken the penalty of the law in his death in our place. And now verse 6. It is by faith, by trusting in Jesus that we get right with God. And so I say to myself, I say to you all here this morning, choose life. Choose life so that you may live. Choose life by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Turn to the Lord with all your hearts all your heart by turning your back on living for yourself or living for that idol, that sin that tempts you. Turn your back on living your own way and turn to the Lord Jesus who died for you, who loves you and who is the only one who can save you. Repent. Turn and trust in Moses' words, choose life. If you don't, you'll only end up with death. 
And if you know you're a believer and Jesus is your Lord, then I call you to turn away from the sin that tempts you in your life at the moment. That selfishness or lovelessness or turn from doubting that God is committed to you. The message for all of us is turn and trust. Choose God's way. May verse 20 speak to your heart. Look at verse 20. Now choose life. Love the Lord your God. Listen to him. Hold fast to him. Love your Lord Jesus. Listen to him. Never let go of him. One Australian preacher posted recently, the word repent is rarely heard in churches today. And I believe that's because we value tolerance over truth. We don't like offending people and prefer to sugarcoat sin and pretend it's okay. But sin is not okay. To remain silent in the face of sin is not loving, but profoundly unloving. Repentance is the cry of a father who says, stop, turn around, you're heading in the wrong direction. When I'm walking down the street and one of my children forgets where they are, stumbles onto the road into ongoing traffic, what do I say? You do what you want to do, follow your heart? No, repent. You're heading in the wrong direction. Turn, come back. Is this an extreme example? Absolutely. But might I suggest that physical danger is far less ex far less extreme than spiritual danger. Jesus himself said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Are you looking at porn? Are you sleeping around? Are you cheating in your, on your spouse? Building your own happiness on their pain? Repent. Don't play games with your soul. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you. Jesus knows what is best for you. End quote. Maybe that's a message for you this morning. Maybe the Lord wants you to share that message with someone else you know. I close with this true story. By the time Dave Jensen was 28, he was a captain in the Australian Army. He was famous for drinking, fighting and womanising. He was the son of the former Anglic Sydney Anglican Archbishop Peter Jensen. Dave said, I started going astray at 15 or 16, doing things with girls I shouldn't. By the time I, he was 20, he was pregnant. His girlfriend was pregnant. He was terrified of letting his parents down, but their loving and gracious response had a lasting effect on Dave. He married his girlfriend. He joined the army, but 18 months in the army had burned away any residual affection for his childhood faith. Dave had a strong desire, desire to do his own thing and put himself above God. 
He says, I never had a moment where I said I don't believe because my whole life I would have identified as a Christian and I certainly wasn't, though, born again. And I never felt anything if I lied to my parents. Dave was a terrible husband. He was wrapped up in his work. And in 2006, his wife told him the marriage was over. And Dave thought, I'll miss my kids terribly, but good. I'm sick of hiding who I am. I want to be my own man. Dave's drinking and his fighting got worse. One day at the Darwin Army Barracks, he woke up with a hangover and instead of looking at pornography as usual, he clicked a sermon his sister had sent him. She didn't give up on him. He clicked a sermon his sister had sent him, John Piper's famous Don't Waste Your Life sermon. Dave said, I was overwhelmed that I was wasting my life. I was doing everything I wanted to do and it all meant nothing. Even though I'd heard the gospel a hundred, a million times before, I realized that no matter what I'd done, no matter how far I had walked, no matter how much I'd rejected God, the cross of Christ was for me. He'd done it for me. When I turned around and confronted what I'd done, I saw that without the love of God, I was completely and utterly stuffed. Not only was my life a waste, but I was going to hell. Dave called up an army chaplain and confessed that he was a whoring, womanizing piece of work. Dave got on his knees by his bed, repented before God, crying out for God's forgiveness. He fell asleep in tears by the side of his bed. He says, I awoke the next morning having the greatest sense of being loved and forgiven that God had set me free. After 28 years of growing up listening to Bible teaching, I was no longer blind and deaf. A bit later in Sydney, Dave really committed himself to go into church and go into Bible study because before his word had meant nothing. Now he resolved for that to change, to let his yes be yes and his no be no. Gradually God continued to change him through his word and the example of others and he stopped getting drunk. He's now loving his new family. And now he knows that living for Christ as king means sacrifice putting others first, trusting that he is in control. Whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, maybe Dave's story has encouraged or challenged you to repent or to turn from that particular sin. God is graciously committed to his people, but he also calls us to be really committed to him. So choose life. Choose life. Turn from your heart. Turn to your Lord. Turn to him again. Trust him. Turn from living your way. Live his way. Let's pray. God will help us do that. Father God, we thank you that you're a God who's committed to keeping your word, your promises promise to all is to save all who turn to you by repenting and coming to Jesus.
God, for any here who have not come to him in repentance and faith, we pray, Lord, that you might do a work of grace in their hearts. Help us all to be serious about living for you. May we choose to listen to you, love you with all our hearts, never let you go. Give us real devotion for you, our God, and our Saviour, Jesus.